Welcome to the CMS Pensions Lawcast. Today we're going to be looking at some of the new information sharing requirements under the Pension Schemes Act 2021 and considering exactly what these mean for employers and trustees. I'm going to start by taking you through some of the additional information sharing obligations that are imposed by the Pension Schemes Act. Mark Grant will be looking at the implications of this for trustees, following which Mark Atkinson will look at this from an employer's point of view. The Notifiable Events Regime was first introduced back in 2005. It requires employers and trustees to notify the pensions regulator of certain events in relation to defined benefit schemes. The Pension Schemes Act introduces a new obligation to notify and provide information to the regulator and to trustees where there are certain events in relation to the employer. This new notification is commonly referred to as the Declaration of Intent. The Declaration of Intent has been introduced to address concerns that in a number of high profile corporate failures, including Carillion and BHS, the regulator and trustees did not have enough opportunity to engage with the employer. The idea is that the declaration will oblige employers and the wider corporate group to think early on and in detail about the effect of corporate plans and decisions on pension schemes. Importantly, there are comprehensive regimes for both civil and criminal penalties for non-compliance. So first, having a look at the civil penalties. Non-compliance with the notifiable events and declarations of intent regime risks a £1 million penalty. This is a really significant increase from the previous maximum civil penalty of £5,000 for individuals and £50,000 for corporates. It's now also a civil offence with a fine up to a million pounds for any person who has knowingly or recklessly provided a trustee with information which is false or misleading in a material particular, if that information was provided to the trustee in certain circumstances. Those circumstances include a request for information under the scheme administration regulations, or where the person providing the information intends or could reasonably be expected to know that it would be used by the trustee in that person's capacity as a trustee. There are also new criminal offences which came into force from the 1st of October this year, meaning there's also the potential for imprisonment or an unlimited fine for providing false or misleading information to the regular, including as part of a notifiable event report. We're still waiting for some further details about this secondary notifiable events regime. The Department for Work and Pensions launched a consultation on the new regulations in September this year, which sets out some more details to the Act. Amongst other things, draft regulations outline two new notifiable events relating to the sale of an employer's business and the granting of new securities and confirm that the declaration of intent must be given when the main terms of the relevant event have been proposed. We're expecting these new provisions to come into force in April next year. And prior to that, the regulator is expected to provide some clarity in a revised notifiable events code of practice and accompanying guidance. So when will this new declaration of intent need to be provided? It will need to be provided when the main terms of the relevant event have been proposed, and it's expected to apply in three scenarios. One, the intended sale by the employer of a material proportion of its business or assets in respect of which a decision in principle has been reached. Secondly, the intended granting or extending of a relevant security by the employer over its assets. 
And thirdly, to the intended relinquishing of control by controlling company of the employer, again, in respect of which the main terms have been proposed. The details as to what exactly needs to be included in the declaration are going to be set out in regulations, but it's likely to include descriptions of the event and main proposed terms, any adverse effects of the event on the scheme, any adverse effects on the employer's ability to meet its legal obligations to support the scheme, any steps taken to mitigate those adverse effects, and finally, any communication with the trustees of the scheme about the event. Importantly, the provision of information doesn't just stop once you've provided the declaration of intent. There's also an obligation to notify the regulator as soon as reasonably practicable, copying in the trustees, A, when the notifiable event actually occurs, B, when there's any material change in that event or the expected effects of that event, and C, if the event isn't going to or doesn't actually take place. It's worth bearing in mind that there are existing obligations on employers and their advisors under the scheme administration regulations, which include the duty of the employer or former employer to the scheme and the employer's auditor or actuary to disclose on request to trustees such information as is reasonably required for the performance of the duties of the trustees or professional advisors. And also the employer within a month of the occurrence to disclose to the trustees the occurrence of any event relating to the employer, which there is reasonable cause to believe will be of material significance in the exercise by the trustees or professional advisors of any of their functions. These duties are suddenly far more significant from the 1st of October 2021, given the new civil and criminal penalties. I'm now going to pass over to Mark Grant, who is going to consider some of these changes from a trustee perspective. Thanks, Natalie. Uh, there's an old saying that knowledge is power, and like all sweeping generalisations, there's a kernel of truth in there. It's not always been true for, for trustees. Sometimes they just don't have the powers necessary to do anything about a corporate transaction, but um, they can do. And, and TPR now has uh, vastly expanded powers as well. So knowledge, getting that knowledge, getting full information and timely information is massively important for trustees whenever there's any corporate activity in the offing that could have a detriment to the pension scheme. Uh, now, <clears throat> I'm guilty of it advising certain employer groups and I, my clients as trustees have also been on the receiving end of basically being, being bounced on the information sharing front. So situations where you don't necessarily give the trustees the full picture, you give them enough to be getting on with, but, but they don't know all the detail that, that could be important to them. Or the information is given to the trustees at the 11th hour, so they don't have time to properly consider it and react to it, uh, and essentially put the trustees on, on the back foot. I think the new regime is gonna really help with those sorts of problems for trustees. So you've got an enhanced notifiable events regime coming in. Um, that's a, that's a, a much better early warning system than we've had in the past, but early warnings are only part of the solution, of course. Um, in the Battle of Britain, Britain had a fantastic radar system, but it would have been no good if the RAF weren't ready and waiting to get their uh, planes up in the sky. 
And, and equally with, with trustees, I think contingency planning is really important. So you have to have your conflict management policies um, worked out in advance, you know, which set of tr the, the trustee board will be free enough from any conflict to work out a reaction to the corporate activity. Um, you need advisors in place that are well versed in, in dealing with these sorts of situations. So not all schemes have covenant advisors retained. They, they really ought to. Lawyers, actuaries who are, you know, have lots of knowledge of the scheme already. It's really important. Confidentiality agreements ideally don't wait until activity kicks off and have to scrabble around to put these agreements in place. You can already have agreements in place with the company and with the parent um, and equally information sharing protocols. So you're, you're already getting these sorts of flows of information. Uh, easier to negotiate when there isn't um, corporate activity already started. When, when corporate waters are calm, it's, it's always easier. And I think allied to this is really important what Natalie said about this, this brand new civil offence where it's an offence to provide trustees with information that's false or misleading if you're doing it knowingly or recklessly. Um, and that's going to make it much harder for trustees to be played by um, corporate parties and their advisors. And also trustees can point to um, point the employer group and its advisors to that offence. So as soon as they're obliged to share information, whether it's contractually or under the scheme administration regulations, it, it, I think it's going to be well worth pointing out to them if their advisors haven't already um, pointed this out, that there are potential offences if they're a bit cute and tactical about the level of information sharing that, that goes on. Uh, and indeed, it's a, already a criminal offence to give misleading information to the regulator by them. So again, sometimes uh, in the past, I've had to point that out to employers. So there's a lot to think about there. But I, I think these, these changes are going to be significant. They're going to give trustees more um, involvement, more potential for um, useful engagement for pension schemes. And it all concentrates employer minds beautifully and Mark Atkinson, my colleague, has been uh, thinking more about that. So I'll now hand over to Mark. Thanks, Mark. So I'm looking at this from the point of view of the employer and an employer's advisors. And the first thing I always consider in this sort of situation is, well, what is the context? How worried should I actually be? So the regulator at the moment, pensions regulator, has been walking a tightrope between wanting to make a big thing of its new powers but also not disturbing normal commercial activity. So we've had comments from David Fairs, who's an executive director at TPR, talking about them using their new powers, their wider new powers, really for the serious, intentional and reckless activities that they're looking to prevent. So that's the most serious. Does that mean that I'm comfortable about this? Because frankly, I know that I'm not gonna make intentional actions that are going to uh, disrupt the pension scheme. My concern is with the benefit of hindsight, will the regulator consider the things I've done to be serious and even potentially reckless? So we've had comfort from the pensions regulator before, in particular back in 2003, when the moral hazard powers were introduced, the original contribution notice and financial support direction powers. Examples were given there, 
where the regulator said it wasn't intended to use those powers, but those examples had not always been followed. So I think this is something that I do need to take seriously, as Mark has suggested. So how do I get myself some comfort about that? Well, the first thing that I can do is I can look at my own team and ensure that my side know what they're doing and that we're not tripped up by not identifying something early enough. In practice, that means that I'm going to need to ensure that my M&A team and my finance team, because the M&A side will be dealing with transactions, the finance team with borrowing that may lead to security, that both of those have some visibility of the obligations the company has, as well as the people who are making those commercial decisions and looking at the deals right from the outset. I'm also keen to ensure that the in-house lawyers that I have will be across both of these issues. And then not to forget the pensions department, because if I'm in an organization that's of any size and has a large DB scheme, um, the sort of scheme that the regulator will be interested in here, I'm also likely to have some form of pension support within the organization. And that pension support, amongst other things, will also know how its trustees operate and the sorts of things that will be of concern and of interest to them. So I think we shouldn't forget the pensions department as being a more important player. So that's my team. Another comfort that I can have or a concern I may have is actually the people I'm going to have to give this information to. The pensions regulator I can't do anything about, but the trustee body is one where I should have been building a relationship for a long time. And one of the issues I need to consider if these new uh, amounts of information are having to be given and given at a much earlier stage in the process is have I got people on the other side of the table who've got the governance that means they can handle that information safely. So, for example, on very market sensitive information, I may have a very few insiders within the company even. Am I comfortable to provide that information to 12, 13 trustees? It may be in that sort of situation I will be more comfortable and can control the process if actually the trustee body has thought about this in advance and has authorised, say, a subcommittee or even just the chair to take that initial information and deal with it. And Mark mentioned the idea of having non-disclosure agreements uh, and confidentiality agreements in place as a standing item. I think that's something that will give the company a great deal of comfort as well and allow these information flows to happen as the regulator intends. The last point I would say in relation to all of this now is even more important than it has been is that I need to write it down. What I'm trying to deal with is a risk of somebody looking far into the future at a point when they know what has actually happened, what has, has, has eventuated. We don't know that at the time. And one of the things they will say if we try and argue that we did think about it is, well, of course you'd say that. So contemporaneous written evidence of our thought processes is very important, both technically from a statutory defence point of view, and also to make sure that the regulator, when looking at this, believes us when we say we had addressed the particular issues concerned. That's not just the way that the company has thought, but also the advice it's received from its professional advisors ensure that that has been written down too. Thanks to Mark Grant and Mark Atkinson for taking us through the various considerations for trustees and employers in respect of these new information sharing requirements. Lots for everybody to consider. As I mentioned at the start of this lawcast, we are expecting the regulator to provide further clarity in a revised code of practice prior to the new notifiable events provisions coming into force in April next year. 
We'll of course share further information on this as and when it becomes available. In the meantime, if you do want to know any more about any of these requirements, you can have a look at our online Pension Schemes Act guide, a link to which can be found in the description of this lawcast. Thank you for listening today. The next episode of our Pensions Lawcast will be our second episode on equality, diversity and inclusion. 